This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Moranalytics podcast, I got Greg Thompson from Cover One. And today it's all about the Buffalo Bills and more specifically, we're handing out 2019 final grades. That's right, folks. It's report card time. Greg and I are going to go through each position on the team. We're going to have a discussion about the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. And then we're going to hand out a grade for each position. It's a good conversation with Greg, and I'm sure plenty of other Buffalo Bills stuff will come up in the conversation. This is actually Greg's first time doing this podcast. He's a co-host, of course, of Cover One Buffalo, the podcast he does with Aaron Quinn. Aaron is a recurring guest on this show, one of my favorite people to have on, and I'm really excited to have Greg on as well. So I'll have that conversation for you with Greg in just a minute. Before that, though, I want to let you know today's show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design t-shirt is sold for every two weeks, then it's gone. That's it. You got to get it during that two-week campaign. Here's the best part about what they do. For every single shirt that they sell, they make a donation to either a specific worthy campaign or to a charity each and every single time. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate. Get this summer, folks. Over $670,000. That's crazy, man. Del Reed, his crew, they do such an amazing job. It's great to see. Not to mention, these are really cool looking design shirts. They're comfortable. They're sporty. They look good on you. I have several of them myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com. See what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's do it. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, I'm joined right now by the co-host of the Cover One Buffalo Podcast, part of the Cover One Umbrella. Tell you what, usually I got the other guy from that podcast, my buddy Aaron Quinn with me, but switching it up today, his partner, I got Greg Thompson with me. Good on, Greg. Glad to finally hook up with you, get out, get you on the podcast. How you doing? Appreciate it, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I apologize you had to suffer through all those sessions with Aaron, but I promise it's going to be worth it. <laughs> uh, Aaron's a good dude, man. I like him. We, One of my favorites. Yeah. Listen, so we're going to get into a final Buffalo Bills report card for the season. We're going to do it positionally. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But since this is your first time on this podcast, and at least some listeners out there may not know much or maybe not even anything about you, let's spend a few minutes just wrapping here at the top. Where are you from? Where do you live now? I know you, just like me, you're not living in Buffalo right now. So where are you from and where are you living now? 
So I grew up closer to the southern tier. Most of my family's down closer to Jamestown, Fredonia, that area, uh, just south of Buffalo. But grew up in western New York. All my family's there. Go back for all the holidays. Uh, went to Cleveland for college and met my wife there. And so a fair amount of my friends from that phase of life and my in-laws are there. And then we've moved around for my work. We've wrote, uh, relocated a few times. So down uh, throughout the south, but still east coast. We live in southern uh, South Carolina for a little while. And now the last three years in Georgia, I live just outside of Atlanta. Okay, cool. Um, so I, I should have said this too at the top. We actually, even though it's your first time on the podcast, we actually met briefly last summer um, downtown in Buffalo. There were a bunch of podcasters and some bloggers met up at that taco bar last August, downtown Buffalo. We hooked up. I remember seeing some photos of you and I was like, damn, bro, bro you really did. You slimmed down a lot, man. You looked really good. <laughs> you used to be heavy. How did you do it, man? Because I'm like, I'm going in the opposite direction. In fact, we're taping this like midweek and you know how it gets around the holidays. So I'm sitting there, I'm picking out, putting on weight. I was in Buffalo for the holidays, went right to Miami. And I said, you know what? Starting on Monday this week, I'm really going to go on a diet and didn't get a chance. Started midweek and by six o'clock tonight, and I'm not exaggerating, went to McDonald's, two spicy chicken sandwiches, two cheeseburgers, wrappers all over my desk, <laughs> shit like that. It's so frustrating, man. How'd you do it? Because you look fantastic. I, I appreciate it. you're very kind. Um, yeah, I I got real big at one point. I was up uh, close to three over 350 pounds at one point. So I was unhealthy. I was you know morbidly obese to the to the very definition of it. And um, I, I'm very fortunate. I was born with good genes. I didn't have any terrible health indicators other than the fact that that's not a sustainable weight that anyone can live at long term. So I, I figured I'd rather take control of my life and decide that I want to lose the weight and get to a healthy uh, weight and, and manageable area before I have to because I have a heart attack in my mid-30s or, or something crazy like that. So um, I just started eating healthier, trying to be careful, cutting back, did a couple of the different things that are other people talk a lot about, you know, uh, the keto and, you know, intermittent fasting and all those different kind of things. And I, I've used elements of those, but really it, it's not any more complicated than I was burning off a lot more than I was taking in. And was working out a good, maybe not every single day of the week, but I'd say consistently five out of seven. And uh, I've kept that up pretty well. I've, I've fluctuated a little bit, but at my best, I dropped 110 pounds wow. and I'm still not too much over that. I, I put a little bit back on and uh, the holidays were maybe a little more uh, uh, adventurous should have been, but uh, I've been able to keep that pretty well maintained uh, for almost a full year now. And then things have been good. Uh, I have a little kids. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So it's fun to be able to run around and play with them and wrestle and not get immediately out of breath and be able to do all the fun things that I want to do with them. So it's uh, it's been good. I feel better. I can enjoy my, my wife and my kids in a healthy manner. And uh, I, I encourage anyone who wants to do that. There's no magic pill there's no secret recipe you know diet that you can do that's going to make everything easy you got to make tough decisions you got to have one good day then another good day and stack them up together and just decide that that's more important yeah no question about it now how long was that process for you like when did you decide that you really needed to make a lifestyle change i'll tell you what i had paul hamilton sabers guy for wgr on the podcast before and he lost a lot of weight and he's been able to maintain it. Had he realized that he was going to be, he was headed towards being very unhealthy, and that lifestyle changes were needed. When did that really kick in for you? That that's something that you needed to do. 
Um, it's probably about two years ago. One of my real good friends was getting remarried and went up there for the wedding. And, you know, just some of the things were all stacking up, like trying to get measured for the tux was a problem. Um, you know, having to ask for belt extenders on the airplane when I'm flying up there, being in the wedding and then, you know, out dancing with the wedding party afterwards. And I, I'm just dying. And it just struck me all at once. That, like, I don't, I don't want that in my life. And that was maybe a little over two years ago. So two, two falls ago. So maybe 27 months ago. And then just uh, honestly started the next day and just cold Turkey cut out all the, you know, I was eating an enormous amount of food and all the unhealthy things and the burgers and pizzas and wings and ice cream and candy and all the crap. And just, cut it all out and just literally changed my life. And it took me about a year to, um, get down as far as I did, maybe even 16 months to really hit my, my very low and had some things out there as a goal. We were taking the kids to Disney for the first time. And I convinced myself, I'm not going to go to Disney and not be allowed to ride rides because I'm too fat to ride rides with my kids. Exactly. And kind of had that in my head that um, that wasn't the experience I wanted to have or wanted them to have and trying to explain to them why I couldn't do things with them uh, and just, you know, worked hard doing it. So it took me a good year. I tried not to do anything crazy or drastic. Um, obviously, it comes off a lot faster at first than later on, but uh, and you hit plateaus and try different things. And um, it's it's really just, you know, making good choices. And the I think what happens to all of us, and you, you mentioned it, it's so easy to yo-yo. It's so easy to go back up. And the biggest thing I tell people is, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to even have a bad couple days. Don't let it turn into a bad week, turn into a bad month and all of a sudden fall apart. You know, you don't have to punish yourself. You don't have to get frustrated or ah, screw it. I already had something here, you know, so you had a rough night tonight. Yeah, that's fine. Don't turn that into a pint of Ben and Jerry's also. And then another large pizza tomorrow, you know, be like, Hey, you want to know what? It's no big deal tomorrow try to start clean again and then if you have another bad day over the weekend that's okay just start try to start clean again because that's what gets us you, you you get down that rabbit hole where ah, screw it i already had that well this is going to taste good i might as well have that too um and then i believe me i know <laughs> as well as anybody that can just unravel completely and all of a sudden you're eating all, everything and and it just gets out of hand. Yeah, it does. And I'll tell you what, you, you make a really good point. I think one of the hardest things, maybe not just in weight loss, just in anything in life is when you fall off a horse, being able to get right back on it. Like for an example, I always go, everything always has to start in my world on a Monday. So if I say I'm going to start dieting on a Monday, so if I screw up on Wednesday, I'm like, well, you know what? I already blew it for this week. So I'll start again next Monday. Meanwhile, Instead of just getting right back at it on Thursday and Friday, Saturday and Sunday, just eating pizza and Ben and you said Ben and Jerry's. I literally had a pint of Ben and Jerry's last night too. So Jesus Christ, I've been bad, man. But anyway, it's like, you know, instead of waiting to the next, I wait to the next week and just say, to, you know what, just get back on the horse. So yeah, I'll tell you what, man, like I said, I saw you, if I would have never known that you had your struggles with weight before I, again, I would never know. I saw you last summer. You look fantastic. So definitely an inspiration for anyone out there listening, struggling with weight loss. You want some tips? Take after Greg because you did, man. You showed that anyone could do it. So props to you for that. And I, you know, I, I don't take that lightly. I think that's a pretty big deal. That's a big transformation. So proud of you, man. And props to you for that. 
No, it honestly means a lot. And, and like I said, it's, it's, uh, I wish it, believe me, if I had some magic recipe, I'd be rich. I'd, <laughs> I'd be sewing it, uh, like hotcakes trying to tell other people how to do it. But it's, it's really just making good decisions and being okay with it and choosing yourself and your health over the other things. Yeah, no doubt. Now let's uh, kind of switch gears here before people think that they're listening to what, like yeah, a doctor, it, before they're listening to what Dr. Oz podcast or something. How long have you been a Bills fan for? Uh, my whole life. It's uh, the I, I joke all the time. I love the Buffalo Bills more than anything I'm not related to. It's the earliest thing that I remember. It's the central rallying point of most of my family. It's what we, the thing that we have in common, whether there's, you know, uh, politics, religion, all the other things that divide people up. Everyone in my family loves the Bills, and it's what we rally around. It's where family events and, uh, you know, meals and parties and everything are planned around. And I remember that from being a very young kid, you know, growing, I was born in 81. So, you know, I was 10 by the time the Super Bowl years were coming around and knew what was going on. But we had been having you know, the Sunday dinner and you'd watch football and we'd eat and we'd all be together. And, uh, my, it was the first memory of my grandfather and most of the people in my family. And, and it, it means a lot to me because it's what ties me back home. You know, my phone blows up the entire game from, so I'll give you a good example. Let me open, open my phone real quick on Saturday during the playoff game, I got, 37 text messages from my grandma. Yeesh. Wow. <laughs> um, so, and another text group with my mom and dad, another one with my sister and a handful other with my cousins. I mean, it's, it's probably not an exaggeration. A hundred messages from my family during the game. It's what we do. Wow. What got you interested in cover one and eventually doing the podcast with Aaron there at cover one? Um, it, it's really good fortune. I was a, a fan of theirs and a subscriber and involved and was, uh, kind of going back and forth on a couple different things. And then I started helping a little bit more on the Slack channel and kind of, I guess our version of a moderator maybe. Um, and then I, something came up and someone was going to be, uh, backed out and wasn't available to help Aaron. And he said, Hey man, you, you know, you're always helpful in here. Everything you ever think of doing this so we did kind of a five minute test recording of the two of us and send it over to eric and be like hey what do you think and i've literally been on the show every single week since then now was, <laughs> was that this week this season when it started it was maybe week two or week three last season. So um, I did the second half of last season and then the whole off season leading up and everything uh, through camp and through all of this season. So this is my first full season and full first year doing everything, but I've been going for about a year and a half on the, uh, as far as back and forth with Aaron. Okay. So you got most of 2018. So you covered a team and talked about a team on a weekly basis that was six and 10 and at least in some form rebuilding they got rid of a lot of guys a lot of young players last year they kind of took their bumps and bruises this year sort of an opposite different kind of season would it was it fun this year talking about a team winning a 10 and 6 team a playoff team instead of what's been the norm for you know for the most part of the last two decades whether it's blogging or podcasting whatever being a bills fan just in general usually around thanksgiving time you're starting to work on mock drafts and talking about draft prospects and free agent discussions, like who's going to come help this team and what guys are we going to keep this year? It was all about this season, even going into the playoffs. That was probably a lot more fun for you doing it this year. And then say last year when they, again, when they were six and 10 and uh, 
going nowhere fast in 2018. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly different experiences from producing the show. It's always it's hard to jump on. Aaron and I do immediate postgame shows, oftentimes minutes after the game ends. And it's hard after a loss. It's Very. tough to kind of gather your thoughts and be focused and organized and not overly emotional and reactionary. And that can be tough. I, I will say there were some similarities in the seasons because the expectations were so low last year that hammering out six wins actually was pretty decent in a lot of people's eyes. And then this year, the bar got raised so quickly that some of the stumbles at the end, and you know, obviously we'll get into some of the details here. Um, some of those things, I actually don't think the experience was terribly different from a fan interaction and, a, uh, you know, the comments you would get and the mentions you'd get on Twitter and things like that um, because the bar got raised. So I, now I think that's great. I think it's exciting to see that. But obviously talking about 10 wins and, you know, I won't even count the Jets game, but, you know, the other six losses, at least. You know, there's only really one game all year that got away from us, and there wasn't a chance to even be in it with that Eagles game. Everything else, there was pretty good discussion about why we did win the game or why we could have won the game, and that's a lot more fun to talk about. Yeah, for sure. All right, so here's what we're doing. Maybe a couple other things that come up along the way, but let's get into it. Final Buffalo Bills report card. Going to go by position. I'll give a synopsis for each, run down some stats from some of the guys from each position. We'll talk a little good and bad for each spot, and then we'll come up each with our own grade. Ready to roll? I like it. All right, here's what we're actually going to do. I was going to originally start offense, defense, and special teams, but let's save offense for last. Actually, let's start special teams because I think that's, uh, you know, for the most part, most self-explanatory. And I'm including all special teams, punting, kicking, return coverage, everything. Uh, statistically, Hoshka was 22 of 28 on field goals this year, 9 of 10 from 40 to 49, but only one for five from 50 or more. Hit on 30 of 32 extra points. Corey Bojarquez punting, 79 punts, 41.9 yard average, 37.7 net, 34 inside the 27 touchbacks. And then Andre Roberts, 26 and a half yards per kick return and eight yards per punt return. In terms of the good, um, I would say Andre Roberts was an upgrade over Isaiah McKenzie last year, especially on punts. If you remember, last year was like holding your breath every time that guy touched the ball. So much so that Micah Hyde, was fielding punts, couldn't return anything, but he was more sh- sure-handed. So that would be a, a positive. And then I would say another thing is not a lot of disastrous plays. There was one, which we'll talk about in a few minutes too. Uh, Reed Ferguson, solid on snaps. Sounds about right. I mean, there's not a lot of detail here in special teams, but is there anything you think I'm missing? Does that sound pretty spot on when it comes to the good? No, I, I think that's right. I think that there's uh, positives. I'm a big fan of Andre Roberts, and I, I always use the term hidden yards. There's a lot of things that he sneaks his way into, whether it's catching the ball at the right time that other guys let bounce, whether it's the little – he does a lot of little juke moves where he gets an extra five, six yards on tough returns that a lot of other guys would have just got tackled. And that I, a lot of those I don't think show up all the time or that, oh, that's not anything special. He had two returns for 12 yards. And I'll argue that 
Well, yeah, but last year that would have been one fair catch and another one that bounced back for eight yards. So I think he netted us 20 yards. And seeing things like that, I'm always a big advocate of his in his judgment and decision-making. So um, I I thought you captured it well. There, It wasn't a lot of great. I don't know that it was quite as bad as what some people seem to make it out as. And I've heard people calling for, uh, you know, Heath Farwell to be replaced or fired. And I don't know that it was great. There's there were some early season discipline issues with some of the special teams penalties that subsided a fair amount as the season went on. Um, but uh, I, I actually thought it was a net positive overall, even if not by a lot. All right. And on the flip side, I would say overall as a unit, I still felt like it was mediocre, but the one big play that really hurt him this year was that first New England game, the block punt ended up being a difference in the game. That probably was more of a schematic call, not having enough guys in on the line and not recognizing what New England was doing, and they were just outgunning that um, Corey Marcus's punt got blocked, returned for a touchdown. That was a key play of that game. And there's a lot of penalties. I mean, I, I didn't look up the stats for 31 other teams. 31 other podcasters who cover teams could probably say the same thing, that they had too many penalties on special teams. But when you add all that up, the good, the bad, let's come up with the great, because I don't want to spend a lot of time here on special teams. But what would be your grade for, uh, for the season? So one thing we didn't talk about pre-show was I'm a little bit of a tough grader. So my logic is that a C is average. A C is NFL starter starting caliber. If you're above that, you're either above average and then you're getting into terms like good or solid or, or, you know, a positive contributor. And then you get up into an A would be, you know, elite, all pro, pro bowl kind of stuff. And then the same thing, if you're below a C, you're into the C minus D or D area, you the team needs to be actively looking to replace you or we need to do better or F you're impacting the the game negatively as itself. And I think we'll see as a whole, and we'll probably talk about it at the end. I think last year we had a lot more D's and F's than people were comfortable talking about. And Aaron and I talk about it on the show all the time. We made significant improvements in lots of areas, but really we went from really, really bad to average. And I was shocked how often that shook out here. So this was one of those. I thought Bean did a great job cleaning up the bottom end of the roster. We brought on a lot of depth and depth normally translates to special teams. And I thought that's why we were slightly above average. I had us at a C plus. I got tired of yelling at the TV of Andre Roberts, almost breaking one. He never did. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, getting a big play that could have been what counterbalanced a block punt back for a touchdown in a game like the Patriots. So, um, I went C plus. All right. I'm going to go C minus. I really don't have much to add besides what you said. I think you, uh, said everything there needs to be said about special teams. I'm going to go C minus. I, Using your logic, I think they were maybe slightly below average. However, they were better than last year. If we had this discussion a lot last season, there would definitely Ooh. have been a D. Uh, it probably wouldn't have been a lot of fun. Let's go to the defense, and let's start with the defensive line. Um, Jordan Phillips, nine and a half sacks, one of uh, the best sack totals of any defensive tackle in the NFL this year. Jerry Hughes only had four and a half sacks. Shaq had six and a half, played well against the run. Ed Oliver, five sacks. Murphy, five sacks. Star Lodeland, 19 tackles and two sacks. In terms of the good, look, Jordan Phillips came on. You know, he I think he surprised a lot of people this year. I don't think there was a lot of expectations for him. Again, he was one of the best pass-rushing defensive tackles in the NFL this year. Shaq Lawson played well, career-high, six-and-a-half sacks. He's always been pretty stout against the run. This seemed to be the year, a contract year for both of them, of course, so it's not really surprising. But Shaq became that 
two-way semi, I don't want to say dominant, but semi-dominant defensive end. He showed what we hoped he would be when he was a first-round pick years ago. Ed Oliver got off to a very slow start, which for a defensive tackle is no surprise at all. He got better as the season went on, came on by the end of the year. He's one of the best players on the defense. And Trent Murphy, who I, you know, I probably called for his head about a dozen times throughout the year because I thought he was irrelevant. He came on at the end. He had two sacks in a playoff game. So when it comes to the good, this was a unit that I think as a whole produced very well. I mean, like we can even throw like Corey Leggett out there too. He he made some plays at the end of the season as well. So I don't know. What's your take on this uh, unit? No, I think you're you're spot on, and I think that it was you know some of the things that were there that kept it from being truly elite or exceptional. There were some blips of, uh, you know the gap integrity conversation that came up earlier in the year. A lot of that started with the defensive line, some consistency issues. Uh, Jordan Phillips, a perfect example. When he was on and making plays, it was top-notch, all-pro type stuff. And then you'd have stretches where they'd catch him guessing and he'd open up a huge run lane or he'd try to make a play but was over-aggressive and didn't hold his spot in that the Bills' defense is very much based on you know, playing your role, doing your one eleventh, all the cliches that are there, but that stuff matters. And when you open up a gap to do that, it does allow it to to be a bigger issue. So um, I think a lot of people were frustrated with, you know, wanting converting pressures into sacks. I think that we were actually really good in pressuring the quarterback, but there were some stretches where it wasn't perfect in getting home every time or taking the quarterback down. And obviously we saw a really rough one um, here on Saturday, but um, I, I thought that the, the defensive line was really, really good. I thought that, you know, even though Jerry Hughes wasn't ideal statistically, he still created a lot of pressures Ed Oliver started the season slowly, but came on really, really well. And like I said, the high end flashes for Jordan, Phillips were outstanding. Hughes, four and a half sacks. That to me is not good enough. Now, I know sacks can be a very overrated statistic, and he did other things well, but still, you want a little more production out of that. And you talked about that stretch where they struggled pretty bad against the run. That stretch, I think it was Philadelphia, Washington, maybe one or two. Miami ran the ball pretty effectively on them the first time they played them. So, yeah, they were, there were times of struggle, but overall, I thought this was a very good unit. When it comes to a final grade, what do you got? Um, so I agree. I, I'm, I'm maybe even a little more optimistic than some. I went B plus. I, I think that there was enough inconsistency and enough, uh, you know, moments that it's not an A. They didn't earn that, you know, elite level. But I thought they had multiple guys just below that Pro Bowl level who were still very, very good. And the overall contribution, having, you know, uh, five guys all at five and a half or more sacks, I think is a really nice total. And even, you know, Star Latule, everybody likes to get on his back. I thought he had a nice season as well so six consistent contributors and then not even counting some you know future ability from a guy like bam johnson and vincent taylor and Corey luja and the guys like that are, are still positive contributors so i thought it was a deep group and i went with b plus no right, i'm gonna roll with the same grade there i got a b plus as well let's move on to the linebackers tremaine edmonds had team high 115 tackles 11 and a half for a loss one and a half sacks one pick nine passes defended Matt Milano, 101 tackles, nine and a half for loss, one sack, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, nine passes defended. Lorenzo Alexander, I still include him as a linebacker, 55 tackles, two sacks, five for a loss, one forced fumble, and nine passes defended. The good, I mean, these guys are very athletic. Two of those three 
Their every down linebacker is that for the most part you could trust. They definitely, they're still young and they're still improving each week. I think you saw Tremaine Edmonds get a lot better as the season went on. In terms of the bad, he still has a long way to go. We saw a lot of mistakes. He is only 21 years old, to be fair. Matt Milano, I really like him a lot. He's a, he's a playmaker, but he saved his, maybe his worst game of the season for Houston at the worst time. You know, uh, Lorenzo Alexander, you got what you're going to get from him at his age. He's had a great career. He's been a great Buffalo Bill on and off the field, but he wasn't too much of a factor this season. When you take that group as a whole, and again, talk about the good, the bad, however you want to talk about it. What did, what did you think of this group this year? It's funny that this was one of my toughest ones because it was hard not to let that final game and some of those challenges cloud what I thought was a really good season and that I thought that I thought Matt Milano played at a Pro Bowl level. I thought Tremaine Edmonds played at, you know, the Pro Bowl alternate that he was and they'll probably play in the Pro Bowl by the time people back out. Um I thought those were legitimate. I thought that Zoe is a, a versatile contributor um, and, and the way that they handled things, I thought was really, really good. But there were definitely some moments. There were some things where Edmonds aggression still can be taken advantage of. He's still not ideal in coverage. Um, you saw him getting more level headed and, and smart and not over pursuing. Um, Milano has stretches where he's absolutely exceptional and then he'll have some moments where he he gets caught flat-footed or he'll not be sound in his technique and, and miss some tackles and obviously like you said that happening at the worst time is hard to ignore so um I think I think there's a lot more good than bad I love the fact that they're both you know on rookie contracts young we do have to you know obviously replace the role that Lorenzo Alexander played but I think his voice in the locker room and his versatility are harder to replace than his actual on-field contributing as a linebacker which I think is going to be fairly straightforward and easy to replace so um, I thought they were very very good I ended up going with a B plus for them as well I struggled with that for a bit because it was hard with how it ended but I thought that for the most part 13 14 of those games were really 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 good and that I was one of the people pounded the table for uh, Pro Bowl recognition and it just makes me feel more frustrated that they allowed that to happen in the final game one of the things that I'm seeing people, especially on social media, already talking about is how we're going to replace Lorenzo Alexander, drafting a new guy. I got to be honest with you, the way this defense is, is formatted, I'm not so much concerned about that. What I am more concerned about is getting better quality depth behind somebody who could play behind Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds if something happens to one of them. We saw Milano miss one game against Miami this year. I think it was Mo Alexander got the start, and Miami kind of exposed that. So I'm a little more concerned about death at linebacker behind Edmonds and Milano than necessarily replacing Lorenzo Alexander. I'm going to go just ever so slightly a little bit lower than you. I'm going to give them a, a B minus. I, I, I like them a lot, but I think there were times where Edmonds made some mistakes, which again, I'm not sitting here blasting a guy. I love Tremaine Edmonds. I'm a big Tremaine Edmonds guy, but he is 21 years old. At times you see that, while at times you see one of the better young linebackers in the NFL. So yeah, I'm going to go B minus. Let's uh, switch now and we'll go to cornerbacks. I'm going to keep corners and safeties as two separate categories. So when it comes to corners, Trey White, six interceptions, zero TDs allowed. We all know what he is. Levi Wallace, 76 tackles, two interceptions. Kevin Johnson, 36 tackles, five passes defended, 
Teron Johnson, 50 tackles, five passes defended. Teron Neal, 36 tackles. A lot of those were on special teams, though. I mean, when it comes to the good, I mean, I don't really, not telling you something that everyone listening doesn't already know. Tredavious White <laughs> may be one of the best corners in the NFL. He might be the best corner right now in the NFL. He's certainly in the discussion among the elite first team all pro. So he's as good as it gets. He's that guy. You could throw him out there and, and you don't have nothing to worry about on that side of the field. In terms of the bad, I'm not saying that he had a bad year, but Levi Wallace was picked on a lot. He was a great story last year as an undrafted rookie. I think he, I don't know if he regressed this year, but he was certainly picked on a lot more teams went after him. It's a position where besides you know, defensive end and wide receiver, the obvious ones, I could potentially see the Bills looking to upgrade that position this offseason. Also, Teron Johnson, I like this kid a lot. He's physical. He's very talented, but he, he has a hard time staying healthy, you know, and it's kind of becoming a pattern now after two years. Him being hurt, throws Saran Neal in the playoffs on the field a lot more than the Bills wanted to see, and you saw the difference, you know, a, a missed sack, a drop pick, things like that. So I, I'm concerned about Teron Johnson's health. Maybe some others aren't as much. But uh, what, what's your assessment on this position before you get to a grade? Yeah, I, I think that you covered it well. It, the fact that you rattled off five names, I actually think is part of the maybe underappreciated value of this group and how much talent there is overall. And when you're starting it with someone like Tredavious White, it's outstanding. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm fine if people want to debate whether he's first, second, fifth, you know, he's one of the best corners in the NFL and undeniably had one of the best seasons in the NFL. If you lead the league in uh, interceptions and don't give up a touchdown, you had a pretty phenomenal season. So um, that's obviously an enormous buoy when you get to the the grading part at the end here. But um, having that many names out there, you know, it's not perfect uh, with, you know, guys like Levi Wallace and, and Kevin Johnson having their moments here and there, whether it's tack lean or maybe physical guys being able to you know get after him and, and from a coverage standpoint when when the guy at the opposite side of the field is Trey White it's you know it's like playing corner opposite Deion Sanders back in the day you're going to get more attention you're going to get more targets so um, I thought they did well overall still didn't give up a ton of huge plays or getting burned deep on things they're able to play within the scheme um, and I, I think this is easily the most talented, you know, single group on the roster when you rattled off five guys who can all play at an NFL level uh, for only two spots on the field. What would you come up with for your grade? Um, I went a minus and I went a minus because I thought if, you know, Trey White was an all pro unanimously, you know, in, in across the board uh, recognized for a great season other than one particular website that, that tried to nitpick with him. Um, and if you know, so I think he was an a plus and I think the rest of the guys were probably in the BB plus range. And uh, I thought that that averaged out to an a minus as a group. Um, but that they were the, you know, the strength of our team along with one more spot we'll get to here, uh, in the secondary, but I thought they were very good. And I went a minus. All right. I'm with you there too. A minus as well. Safeties, Micah Hyde, 72 tackles an interception, two forced fumbles, one recovery. One and a half tackles for a loss. Jordan Poyer to strong safety. 107 tackles, two picks, three forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, one sack, five and a half tackles for a loss. The good, look, man, these are two solid safeties. I don't, don't really need to elaborate too much on them. They're two safeties that when they're out there, I feel good about the defense. I don't have any real complaints on the other side other than maybe they miss a few more tackles than you want to see. Sometimes they tend to... Uh, you know, throw a shoulder in there a little bit too much and not wrap. And um, some running backs or receivers have run through 
a couple more tackling. I'm like, nothing serious. But when you take this position and maybe anyone behind them, well, what do you think? To me, this is obviously one of the strengths of the team. I'm pretty sure you're going to agree. Oh, yeah, spot on. It's the quarterback of the defense. They're out there pointing everybody around. The versatility that they provide, I think, is one of the underrated pieces. It's hard to know on any given play who's the free safety, who's the strong safety. They can both cover for each other equally, and that's what you hear from a lot of opposing quarterbacks. All of the things that people hear about, whether it's combo coverage, disguised coverage, they're able to trick people because of these two players. What what uh, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer can do from a versatility standpoint, acting as a nickel corner, covering in man, trailing a guy across the field to give the defense an indicator that it's man, but all they did was switch zones and cover the other area, and and they you know trick the quarterback that way. What they're able to do playing around until the last minute before the offense snaps the ball to give them eye candy in other areas, and then still be able to cover their space is really really valuable. So I. I I think they're outstanding, arguably the best combo in the league, even if maybe neither of them are individually elite, though two of them together is incredibly valuable. That leads to my grade. I'm actually going to give them the highest grade of any unit on this team. I give them an A because you said it perfect. Maybe separately, neither of them are quote unquote elite, but you put them two together and I have a hard time finding any other tandem in the NFL that's better than them. So if they're not an A, I don't know any safety tandem in the NFL that's going to be an A. What do you got? I, I think that's great. I, I did go A minus. I thought they were individually just below there, but I actually like the way you approach that. That together they're actually better. You know, the the whole the 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 whole is better, greater than the sum of the parts. I, I think they're the definition of that. So I think that's a great call. I did go A minus, but I actually like the idea of an A because of how versatile they are together. Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's episode is being supported by Sounds Assured. So look, it seems that everyone out there has a podcast today. I spent a lot of time listening to them. And the biggest mistake that I hear, I can almost instantly tell. In fact, almost all the time, many people make this mistake. You go out, spend all your money on fancy microphones and boom arms, interfaces, recording devices, headphones, all the bells and whistles. But here's the problem. You get all this stuff and you don't treat your recording environment. I'm talking about mainly your walls, your ceiling, the result. Despite all the money you spent, all the stuff you got, the audio still sounds like crap. Listen, you need to invest in acoustic treatments. You got to make the gear that you spend your hard-earned money on thrive. Sounds assured as top-notch acoustic foam. I know this because I personally have some of my own home studio furnished by Sounds Assured, available in multiple sizes with very reasonably priced and this is the most important thing. Excellent quality. It's actually good stuff. You can go on Amazon and get the cheapest stuff out there. And trust me, I've done it too. It might look the part, but it doesn't work. Sounds Assured definitely does. Again, folks, invest in your audio the right way. Visit SoundsAssured.com. In fact, give them a call. Someone will be more than happy to discuss your needs with you. As a bonus, use promo code Moran10. You'll get 10% off any order. Do yourself, do your podcast, do your audio production a very big favor. Go check out soundsassured.com. All right, I'm with Greg Thompson. Let's go on the other side. Let's talk offense now. Let's start with the offensive line. Deion Dawkins, Quentin Spain, Mitch Morris, John Feliciano, Cody Ford, Ty Inseki, Spencer Long. Got a decent amount of reps throughout the season. I mean... Look, Deion Dawkins bounced back. I thought he was borderline really bad in 2018. He he regressed 
from his rookie year, but I thought he was very solid for the most part at left tackle this year. And what impressed me most, I don't know if it impressed me, maybe it surprised me the most, is I thought both Spain and Feliciano were a lot better than I anticipated. When those guys signed early in free agency last year, I thought they were going to be death guys. I thought maybe Spain would start and Feliciano would be a backup. I didn't know how things were going to play out. But both guys, I thought, played really well. On the flip side, for me personally, I don't know. You know, Mitch Morris is a good center. I mean, in compared to what they had, Ryan Groy, Russell Bedine the year before, he was a huge upgrade. But in part because he was banged up this year. He's one of the few Bills that kind of like had injury problems throughout the season. And that stemmed all the way back to the concussion during um, the preseason. I just, I didn't see that elite, highly paid center play out of him. And maybe that's part of the reason why, I don't know. So when you take all that into account, what do you got to add to the offensive line? Talk about also Cody Ford, because I didn't even hit on him. What did you think of him as a rookie? And what else about this offensive line did you like or not like? Yeah, I think this is the perfect example we talked about at the beginning, where this went from arguably the worst line in the NFL to a significant improvement, but it probably went from really, really terrible to now closer to average. And um, I'm I'm probably a little bit higher on Mitch Morse than you, not because I think he's a lead across the board, but I do think that some of his elements of especially getting out in space and his athleticism when he's out pulling and moving um, is closer to elite. And then I think he's still pretty good in all the other areas, uh, even if I agree, maybe not as dominant as the amount of money that was outlaid for him as well. I think it's hard for us to know how much contribution he makes in, in gelling everyone together, making the line calls, things like that. Um, I, I agree. De- Deion Dawkins made a huge step forward, much more consistent and was a consistent positive overall. John Feliciano was my biggest miss of the free agent signing by a lot. I thought he was a backup caliber player. I didn't think he was anything special. I thought Spencer Long was going to be the starter. He was a consistent special, uh, uh, pleasant surprise overall. Um, I have always thought Cody Ford was a guard and I think he showed that during the year and I even think Brandon Bean kind of commented on that and on his uh and end of season presser but he held up decently he had some good games especially look at the two he put together against Von Miller and Demarcus Lawrence I think that showed some positive potential I'd prefer that we move him to guard and, and let him have uh, a run there where I think he can be a really above average pro bowl level guard and then we maybe bring in a young guy to pair with Ty and Secchi but the fact that we rattled off all those names we even lost some guys like Jeremiah Searles and Leandrin and Waddle early in the sea in the preseason and lost some of the depth that they added. I, I thought they were good overall. I thought that there was some moments. Um, they're probably better run blocking than they are pass blocking. There were still some needs there, um, but I had that with probably slightly below average in pass blocking, slightly above average in run blocking, and I I end up netting out at a B minus. Okay, when it comes to Ford, I agree with you. I think he should be a guard. However, I'm pretty confident that the Bills are going to do everything they possibly can to see if this guy can play right tackle next year. So I'd be really surprised if he doesn't. One thing I should say about Spain and Feliciano, too, that I didn't realize at the time, I thought they were significantly older. I mean, I was like, all right, why they got these two old guys on the line? They're not old. Spain's 29, Feliciano's 28. That's not old. If they decide that they want to grow, I mean, Spain's a free agent. Feliciano signed through next year. If they really want to commit to keeping these guys around, they can around for them easily for another three or four years if they really want to build continuity on that line. You got them at a B minus. I got them at a C plus only because, again, I, I if last year they were an F. 
I, I still say a C plus ever, ever slightly above average. And you, I'll tell you what, too. You also brought up a fair point about Mitch Morse. It's kind of unfair for me to say, well, because he got elite money, he needs to be an elite player. Sometimes it's just the way the market works. Right place, right time. He cashed in. He is a good center and he's far better than anything they've had last year. And, you know, at his best, he's like a good Eric Wood, too. So he, he brings a lot to the offensive line. So maybe I'm a little bit harsh on him when it comes to that. What about the tight ends? So, all right, so we got Dawson Knox, two, two, two rookies here on this, um, on this lineup. Dawson Knox, 28 catches, 388 yards, two touchdowns. Tyler Croft, hurt for the first half of the year, six catches, 71 yards, and a score. Sweeney, rookie, eight for 114. Lee Smith somehow caught four passes for 31 yards. I don't remember any of them. I just remember about 14 holding penalties. But anyway, this is a position, and as a Bills fan, you said you've been a Bills fan your whole life, so you know this. Tight end is a consistent, perennial, annual, shitty position for the Bills. It, they never get good production out of it. Last year, I looked up the stats, which is a good thing. Charles Clay only caught 21 passes for 184 yards last year for the Bills. So Dawson Knox was a huge upgrade if you compare him, especially to Clay's production last year. Knox made some big plays. May have won that Cincinnati game where he caught that pass and ran two dudes over um, that set up that winning score. On the flip side, I mean, you know, you watch the games. People listening, you watch the games. Knox drops, you know, more passes than you want to see. He missed a very key block in that Houston game. In fact, we can have a separate discussion about this some other time, but you can make all the arguments about third and 18 and Saran Neal not wrapping him up on the sack and Milano Watson to, to allow that play to Taiwan Jones. There's a lot of factors, but here's the bottom line, dude. If Dawson Knox makes that block, he's supposed to on Cunningham. Allen could walk to field goal range in overtime and the Bills might've won that game. So he's very inconsistent and raw as a rookie to be expected. You know, Sweeney didn't get a lot of opportunities and Croft minus a touchdown was pretty much a non-factor. It's a position that is always, it needs to be more consistent. What's your take on this position? And, uh, what grade would you come up with? You started making my eye twitch when you started talking about that play. Afterwards, watching the the game film and the coaches film on Game Pass, I watched that play 20 times because I swear one of them, he was going to block Cunningham. And oh. it just was, it, it was so frustrating. It, it would have put us in a great position. Um this position reminds me of the Eddie Murphy delirious part where he's talking about the, the guy who's been on a stranded Island, hasn't eaten for a month and now has a cracker and he's excited. Ooh, ooh, that was so good. Is that a Ritz? Um, (laughs) we, we finally got something here and we're so excited that we're not realizing that we're still pretty bad at, at tight end in the, um, it was nice. I think there's some legitimate potential with Dawson Knox. Um, I think there's some legitimate roster potential for Tommy Sweeney. I'm not quite as excited as some people get about him. I still have maybe 10% I'm holding out that a healthy offseason and training camp to build chemistry with Tyler Croft can yield more than we saw this year. Um, and then I agree. I, I, I'm fine with the leadership role that Lee Smith brought, and I do think think that he is a, a legitimately good blocking tight end, but he just offers so little else. And when you're negating that with penalties, it, it takes it away. And that we, this again, this went from the worst tight end position in the NFL, which we were by leaps and bounds to 
not horrible. Um, so this actually was my lowest graded area on the team. I had him at a C minus, and I, I actually think D plus isn't crazy. Um, I think that there's potential to go well beyond that. I think Croft's health and obviously just simply the the youth and development of a guy like uh, Dawson Knox, he shows a huge upside that could get much better, but he's got to hold on to the ball. I think Sweeney can do more. So there's, there's a reason for hope with this one, but we just went from absolutely horrible to less bad. I'm going to go ever so slightly higher and I'm going to give them a C and I'll say this too about Dawson Knox. If we do this same exact podcast one year from today, well actually hopefully one year from today, the bills would still be playing and we wouldn't be doing that. But at the end of next season, I feel like Dawson Knox at least potentially has the physical capability to make this a B on his own because I think he is very good. All right. He was very inconsistent. This was also even going back to college, he was never really productive. So this was the first year that he was really um, tasked with being productive. And I thought at some points he was very good. Again, it's it's the drops, it's the untimely drops, the the mental errors, because that missed block was a mental error physically. There's no reason why he wouldn't have blocked the safety had he gotten his um hands on him. He just missed a play. But anyway, I, I like him a lot. And I'll tell you one thing I don't agree on, though, with is Tyler Croft. I feel like he's more likely... And we're not going to get in the offseason stuff today. And the Bills are certainly in no kind of cap shape where they need to cut any players if they want to be active because they have tons of cap room. But Tyler Croft, they could save $5 million if they cut him next year. And it's not so much that I don't think he's good. It's that I like Dawson Knox so much. And I think Sweeney might take that next step that you're going to pay uh, Tyler Croft a lot of money, but potentially be your third tight end. So we'll see how that plays out, obviously, but we're kind of like on the same page with tight end. I think that was my lowest grade among the offensive uh, units anyway. So let's move on to wide receiver. Another position, John Brown, 72 catches, 1160 yards, six touchdowns. Also threw two touchdowns. If you count the playoff game, Cole Beasley, 67 for seven, 78, six touchdowns. Isaiah McKenzie had 27 catches for 254. He also ran the ball eight times for 49 yards. Duke Williams, 12 catches for 166. Robert Foster, I, I can't believe I'm telling you these stats here. If I would have been talking about this a year ago, I'd say you're crazy. Or he was hurt all year. Not the case, but only three catches for 64 yards. Look, at this position, again, not rocket science. It, it was a two-man show. Everything we could have hoped for and more, I think, from John Brown and Cole Beasley. Brown had the 14th. Most receiving yards and also the 14 most receptions in team history. And that's despite not even playing in the last game. Beasley, his 67 catches were the most, not counting Brown, since Stevie Johnson at 79 in 2012. So I don't know how you're going to end up grading this, but two players at this position were really good. The problem is they got pretty much nothing, at least nothing with any consistency beyond those two. So wide receivers are more than just two guys. So what's your take on this position, especially at, or talk about those two guys, but then talk about what your issue is after them. I think you were really good with, with the overall description. And um, so I had talked about that my biggest whiff uh, was on free agency with John Feliciano. By far, my biggest hit was John Brown. He was my target starting last October, November. When I was looking at potential free agents, I wanted him going in there. I thought he was a perfect fit. Oddly, I thought he was a perfect fit because I thought it was going to be Josh Allen hitting deep balls to him. Um, and really, it was because 
cornerbacks got so afraid of his deep speed that they kept giving that free 15 yard out over and over again. Um, and we just cashed in on that all season. Um, so it was funny how it ended up working out. And then one of the things I underrated was I was worried, is Josh Allen really going to be able to use Cole Beasley? And although there were moments where they forgot to use him or he got away from the game plan, he was such a healthy safety valve for him all year. And some of those big games, especially you look at ones, you know, towards the end, like the Dallas game, and things like that where he was a really critical piece to that offense it was really really encouraging it's so frustrating that it drops off so dramatically after that and you know I think that Isaiah McKenzie's skill set brings something valuable and I think just the fact that he was such a threat running that jet motion kept defenses honest and I at least think strategically that was important for being to see. I don't know if he's going to be the guy that does that next year, but I think it's important that we have that role. I think in the playoff game, we showed that Josh has a greater willingness to throw those 50, 50 balls and those back shoulder ball, shoulder balls and some of those contested catch situations to a guy like Duke Williams and what we saw. And that, you know, I don't know if that's an indictment on a Kelvin Benjamin or an Andre Holmes that Josh never did that. Or if that's simply now his development since then, that he's willing to do those things. Now. Um, I think that that is, a big gap for next year in needing that third person and whether that is a dynamic number one that pushes Brown, you know, probably more realistically to where he should be as a number two and Beasley is your stereotypical slot number three or simply a guy to be a consistent third weapon. Um, we need that dramatically. And I won't even talk about Robert Foster. I, I think there's no chance he's on the roster next year and that's a shame, but I think that he's the perfect example of the the guy who's the 15th guy on the bench in the NBA that when you go to the Y, you can watch him play for two hours with a bunch of other guys and he never misses. And then you get into the NBA and yeah, he can't really play defense, can't do those other things. And you realize that everybody who's good enough to be at the professional level, if you simply get fed a ton of volume because nobody else is there and you're simply the better than everybody else they have. You can put up some numbers, but the, he was just incredibly flawed in his route tree and his uh, nuance of what he was able to do. And as that jets game, that meaning hollowless hollow game at the end of the season, him and Duke Williams got the same number of reps. The two of them were out there the entire time. And when I went back and watched the film, one of them was getting open over and over and over again. And one of them wasn't. And it wasn't the guy who ran the four three three, and I, that was as telling for me as anything that I saw. That I I'm like you. I was I don't know that I was as excited as everybody was last year, but I thought he was going to be a big piece of this offense, and he was going to be the big play threat. And I now am very comfortable moving on for next year. So I thought overall this is another one where they went from really bad, very below average, arguably the worst in the NFL to now, I think above average and pretty good. Um, I think that there were moments that they were good, but I, I went B minus just because there was such a drop off after the first two. Um, but that there's potential here with the draft pick, probably a draft pick and a free agent addition that we could round out into a nice, uh, opportunity where then your Duke Williams and your Isaiah McKenzie's are fighting for that fifth or sixth spot uh, next year because we added two nice pieces. I'm going to go with the C plus and I'll explain why. If it were Brown and Beasley, I'll tell you what, I think that may be the best one, two bills combination, maybe since going all the way back to Eric Moulds and 
perilous price. I thought they were that good this year, but I, so if it was, if I was graded on them two, I probably would be B plus. I might even give them an A minus because I thought both of them were excellent. I think they exceeded at least my own expectations anyway. But the problem is this dude, they, they just got nothing on any kind of regular basis from any of their other guys. Like I said, Isaiah McKenzie would have a game, then he'd disappear. Duke Williams didn't even play for two months. I will say this too. When it comes to Duke Williams, he's a good story. I like him. He makes plays, but he's very inconsistent. And that's kind of understandable. But what really caught my attention during his playoff game is Josh Allen's willingness to go to this guy time and time and time and time again. And key points and key drives of the game as well. He ended up with 10 targets on last Saturday. John Brown and Cole Beasley combined had 13 targets. So he went to Duke Williams more than he went to anybody else. So that makes me think during this offseason, probably priority number one for Brandon Bean is let's go find a Duke Williams type, but better. You know what I'm saying? A bigger guy who Josh Allen just felt comfortable throwing the ball to him that he could trust, a bigger body, a guy who could get that 50-50 ball that you were talking about just a few minutes ago. I think that's going to be priority number one. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, again, I'm not anti-Duke Williams by any means, but I don't think he's that guy. Agree 100%. And I, I like both the comment I made about the jet sweeps and the eye candy and the 50-50 contested balls. It was important that we saw that. I think we can do better than both Duke Williams and Isaiah McKenzie. I won't be upset if one of them still on the roster or I guess even both, um, but it showed the capability and that if we had a more dynamic player, it would be great. One of the guys in our uh, premium Slack channel for cover one made an awesome comment that, that made me laugh. What we really need is either Robert Williams or Duke Foster. <laughs> we we need we need the guy who can be the big 50-50, you know, catch can contest a catch guy who can also run the deep route and have the deep speed. And if you could somehow combine those two guys, we could really have something special. That's funny. And it's true. All right, let's move yeah. on. Second last position here, running backs. Rookie Devin Singletary, 151 carries, 775, two touchdowns, 5.1 yards per carry, which by the way, second in the NFL behind only Lamar Jackson. Also caught 29 balls for 141 yards, two more touchdowns. Frank Gore, 166 carries, 599 yards. I'll tell you what, those last four or five carries pissed off a lot of Bills fans. Two touchdowns on the year, three and a half or 3.6 yards per carry. 13 uh, receptions for 100 yards. I mean, look, Devin Singletary was very good as a rookie. It was clearly part of Brandon Bean's plan all along when he signed Frank Gore on day one of free agency. He said, and he didn't know it was going to be Singletary specifically, but he said, I'm going to get myself a rookie running back. We're going to get rid of LaShawn McCoy if everyone stays healthy and everything goes to my plan. We're going to have a guy like Frank Gore, a mentor, to really kind of tutelage this kid, get carried alone late, early in the season, and then as it goes on, kind of let the rookie take over. That's pretty much how it went. Singletary, I thought, was very, very good as a rookie. Frank Gore did his role well, although I think on the opposite side, I, I think he noticeably slowed down in the second half of the year. I don't know if it was age or what. I thought they used the running backs poorly at times, especially in the playoff. Singletary didn't even have a carry during the overtime drive of uh, the playoff game at Houston. Maybe it was because he had two fumbles a couple games before that, and maybe the coaches were a little bit worried. I don't know what it is, but when you take all the running backs here, I guess I could add technically TJ Eldon, only he really was no factor this year. What was your take on uh, the Bills running backs in 2019? Yeah, I like the potential 
that we saw. And I'll say the running back position is the exact opposite of the linebackers, where I think how phenomenal Singletary looked in the uh, playoff game might cloud over how just how good of an overall season that it was and that 775 yards is nice two touchdowns is you know, okay um, obviously that might be a little clouded by the next position we get to in some of the rushing touchdowns to get stolen um, so you know that's probably not quite fair just to him but the efficiency the capability was far more he was my biggest draft miss by far I was mad when they drafted him I wanted a pass rusher I wanted Jalen Ferguson or Chase Winovich or I wanted somebody there and they were on the board and we took some five seven running back who runs a four six six and I was mad and he, I am really glad to be as wrong as I was. I think, I don't know that he can be your Ezekiel Elliott bell cow, 30, 35 touch guy in a huge game, but I think he can be the primary ball carrier in today's NFL shared backfield and getting 50 to 65% of touches in a backfield. And if we pair him with, again, I've said this about Lee Smith. I said this about lots of other guys. I'm happy Frank Gore was on this team. I'm happy for his leadership. I think he brought more to what Devin Singletary could be and can become than anybody could have realized. I think that Singletary took to that really, really well, but it's not going to be that hard to upgrade Frank Gore on the field. I don't think that's going to be that difficult to do. Um, So again, I tried not to be clouded by how good the playoff game looks, what I think the potential is. I think overall they were pretty good and I went B minus here as well. I think that there's a lot of upside beyond there. I think we can add an easy, you know, whoever the best running back left in the third to fifth round somewhere in there um, and pair that with Singletary. I think we we could be on to something. You look at the deals they signed Frank Gore to a one year, $2 million deal. And then, you know, TJ yelled into a two year, 2.5. $5 million deal that they can get out of for nothing, you know, so you draft me somebody and then you sign another guy at that level to come in and compete with Yeldon to be that third back. You could be talking about a pretty dynamic backfield in 2020. I also agree with you. I gave him a B minus as well. Let me say this about Singletary as well. I was with you. I was not happy when they drafted a running back. I didn't get it at the time. I was like, you already have LaShawn McCoy. You already have Frank Gore. You already have TJ Yeldon. What the hell are you doing? Again, Brandon Bean had a plan that maybe we didn't realize at the time because they were saying all the right things about LaShawn McCoy. But in hindsight now, I think that was the plan all along. Let's get the rookie. And if there's no tire fires during training camp and Gore stays healthy, we're going to get rid of LaShawn before the season starts. Because LaShawn didn't do anything in camp or the preseason to lose his job. I think that was the plan all along. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a hot take here, right? Or a bold prediction, whatever you want to call it. I'm clearly higher on Devin Singletary I think, than you are. Not that you don't like him or you're not high on him, but I'm going to take it one step further. I think potentially 12 years or 12 months from now, not 12 years, 12 months from now, I think Devin Singletary might be the best player on his team. And I'm including Trey White. I'm including Tremaine Edmonds. I'm including Trey White. I'm including Josh Allen. We're going to talk about it in a second. I think Devin Singletary could be one of the best three running backs in the entire NFL within a year. I've seen so much for this kid that I like. I knew he was shifty. Doesn't have world-class elite speed, but I think he's going to get better. His hands are good, and he breaks tackles and gets tough yards a lot more than I ever gave him credit for. I really like this kid a lot. I think he's going to be a stud in an all-pro. That's awesome. I, I, I I don't see that just because of the lack of elite athleticism. I think that there's some limit to what he can be, but I've been wrong on him a good amount of times already, so I'd love to keep being wrong and have him turn into, you know, 
it, it, that's sacrilegious for our world to say the name I'm about to say, but Thurman Thomas wasn't an elite athlete either. Right. Um, you know, like he was a good, you know, obviously anyone who's on an NFL roster is the best athlete you've ever met in your life. They would have been the best athlete to ever go to your high school and shattered every record. You know, if you make it to the NFL, you are an elite athlete in the world compared to other NFL running backs. He's not an elite athlete. It's, you know, he's subpar in, in many areas, but virtually every area that you can't measure with a stopwatch, he's exceptional contact balance vision. The, the weird little like side cuts and fake leg that he puts out there and then is able to pivot and keep moving. You know, that one two yard run against the Texans where he literally juked four guys between the hash and the sideline and he only gained two yards, but it should have been like a four yard loss. Uh, those plays are pretty phenomenal. So I'd love to be wrong on him again. Uh, I, 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 that'd be awesome if he turns into that high of a, of a talent, but uh, it's been exciting so far. I'll tell you what, I'm really glad you said Thurman Thomas because I actually have thoughts of Thurman Thomas when I look at Singletary. You said it. Thurman was not an elite athlete coming out of college. I mean, he also had an injury as well, and that's part of the reason why he slipped to the second round, but part of it was because he wasn't an elite athlete, and people who watched him play, you you only think of the catches or all the jukes or quickness. I'll tell you what, Thurman also was able to run between the tackles, make a lot of guys miss and and turn a, a loss into a three-yard gain. He was a lot better at that than people gave him credit for. So, I, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm a big Devin Singletary guy. You said elite athlete, so let's end there because for better or for worse, Josh Allen is an elite athlete, at least for his position, I think, anyway. Statistically, he went two hundred or 271 for 461. He completed 58.8% of his passes for 3,089 yards, 20 touchdowns, nine picks, Quarterback rating of 85.3, sacked, I think, 38 times. Um, on the ground, 109 carries for 510 yards, nine touchdowns. He fumbled a lot. I don't even have the number in front of me. I think he fumbled like seven, eight times, though. Um, look, on the good side, noticeable improvement from his rookie year. That goes without saying. He's a threat on the ground as well as through the air. That that what last year, his rookie year, was not a fluke. He showed that this year. He made some plays that, very few quarterbacks in the NFL are capable of making kind of like that Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers vibe you get from him at times anyway. Also, another thing too, I mean, he did get his uh, bell rung against New England and ended up sitting out that fourth quarter. But aside from that, he took a lot of hits this year and he bounced back. He got up. So he showed he's tough and he could take those tough hits. On the opposite side, I mean, look, dude, just the numbers, you know, they speak for himself. He, first of all, he was in very inaccurate downfield and Again, how many times did he miss an open receiver downfield badly? 58.8% completion percentage. That's not good. The fumbles were a problem. In fact, the Philly game, that fumble late in the second quarter turned the tie to that game. It's not why they lost against Houston in the playoffs, but that fumble hurt. Quarterback rating, not good. 3,000 yards passing in today's NFL, not good. In fact, he was just 23rd in the NFL in passing yards. 32nd in completion percentage. So and tied for 21st in uh, touchdown passes. So statistically, not good. But he's one of those guys, and especially Bills fans listening, you know this more than national media people do. And Greg, I know you know this too. You can't judge a book by his statistics when it comes to Josh Allen. So a factor in everything I said, what's your take on him? Where do you think he's at right now in his career? What's his ceiling, his realistic ceiling going into year three? And when you roll that all into a grade for 2019, what are you going to come up with? 
it's it's so crazy to try to grasp where he is because there's so much context that goes into it. You're talking about uh, arguably the most polarizing prospect, probably, you know, maybe since Johnny Menzel, maybe since Ryan Leaf, you know, that just there are some people who thought he had potential and so many people just adamant that he was never going to work out. So I think, one, he's already shown well beyond what many people thought. You know, you talk about a, a season with, you know, 29 total touchdowns and 12 total turnovers, that's significantly better than many of those folks thought was ever even reasonably possible. But, you know, is a seven, seven and a half percent increase in uh, completion percentage, is that an encouraging sign or is 58.8%, you know, concerning because it's not high enough is 29 total touchdowns, which I believe was fifth in the NFL. Is that something to be excited about or is 20 passing touchdowns and 21st in the NFL? Is that concerning is nine interceptions, a sign of improvement and better decision-making or was he lucky that he only lost three of the seven fumbles that that were out there? Um, All those different things that happen during the season. Um, I think there were more positives than negatives. I think that he's still shown an incredible level of humility and coachability and self-awareness and genuine desire to improve. And that I saw enough from 2018 to 2019 to believe that we're going to see another material noticeable jump next year. You add into that, that he's not one of these kids that went to elite 11 passing camps and ran an air raid high school offense and then went to, you know, a crazy pass happy uh, college program. There were scouts that, you know, threw it out there that they thought he was 10,000 reps behind a Baker Mayfield when they were being evaluated and that wasn't some you know hyperbole i you know malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours kind of cliche that was legitimate they thought that baker mayfield had thrown a football ten thousand times more than josh allen had you know so right now going into his third season age wise and throwing development wise he's basically going into baker mayfield's rookie year um so i think there's reason to have genuine optimism there's also plenty of red flags that are out there that if you want to hang on to those and convince yourself that he would have shown more than this by the end of the second year, there's some of those out there as well. So um, I'm still a believer. I am tying a lot of that into the soft skills part, the humility, the self-awareness, the desire to get better, and that he showed so much improvement, even if it was from terrible to okay this year that I think he can take another step, but he has to. And I think we're going to know by the end of the 2020 season, like it or not, I think we're going to know whether he's going to be the answer and that, you know, with the way contracts work, we're probably going to see the fourth and fifth year, no matter what, because that's the way things work in the NFL nowadays. Um, But I think we're going to know by the end of next year, is he going to be our guy? Um, I went C plus and it, maybe that's my optimism and hope, you know, reaching out, Plenty of numbers and stats would tell you that he should be below average and C minus. I thought that some of the leadership, some of the decision making, some of the positives that he did outweighed the negatives to me. Um, but I'll, I'll say that's a hopeful C plus for me. I'll give him credit for a couple of things that don't necessarily show up in the stats. One, you spoke of this. I think his desire to 
be a great quarterback. His desire to bring a championship to Buffalo is unrivaled. I, I, he has a burning desire to be great. I, he wants it badly. And that matters. That makes you work hard. That keeps you focused. And I don't think that's going to be a problem with him. I also believe that he has the potential to get better with deep balls. I think maybe it was nerves this year, just timing. I think that that is something that he will improve at. And I think at times, at least anyway, he got better, at least for a very long stretch, at avoiding stupid turnovers, you know, throwing those crazy ass passes, like the ugly turnovers. I think he was made a much more concerted effort to get rid of the ball. I think he was got a lot better at that. Now, in fairness, he kind of reverted back to, um, I had Bruce Nolan on the show earlier this week, and he called him YOLO Josh in the playoffs. Because <laughs> that's kind of what he, I mean, he very easily could have had a pick six. He could have had three interceptions very easily. Houston dropped a couple, you know, potential game-changing plays. So he got a little erratic there. That's concerning. But as a whole, I think he got better. When it, look, when it comes to the consistency, he's, not, he's never going to be Joe Montana. He's going to constantly, he could play in the NFL for 15 years. He's going to throw the ball at Cole Beasley's ankles on a third and eight a couple times a game. It's just, that's how he is. It's can he get better at the things that I think he's capable of getting a lot better at. And based on what I saw this year, I think the answer is yes, I do. I, I don't think he's ever going to be the most consistent quarterback in the NFL, but I think he can be better than what he was. My grade this year was a C. And before we go, let me ask you this, okay? Speaking honestly here, how are you feeling about this team going into the offseason? Because yes, it's a very talented team. For the most part, it's a young team in a lot of key spots. They got a lot of room to grow, but they also got to 10 and 6 this year, at least in part. Okay, let's not fool ourselves here because it was a perfect storm of everything going right. You know what I'm saying? A lot of things went right this year to get to 10 and 6. I'm going to bring up a couple of these to you because are they a good team that's for real or are they the 2018 Rams or the 2018 Bears where we thought those teams are going to be around and then they reverted back to uh, not being good this year. Again, the perfect storm. They had a very easy schedule, Greg. I mean, look, they didn't play a lot of playoff teams. Tennessee, they played, but they had Marcus Mariota at the time. New England twice. We found out that they're not anything what they used to be. Philly, but they kind of like backed into the NFC East. I think they were only 9-7. and seven. And, of course, a great Baltimore team. Uh, they also were able to avoid like catastrophic injuries. Milano missed a game. Morris missed some time in Secchi. Went down Teron Johnson, banged up. Singletary missed a couple games with the hamstring. But you know what I'm saying. There were no like season-altering injuries. So that was kind of a break. And then at the end of the day, they're on the, on the road in a playoff game where many thought the Bills were actually the better team. So you could look at it as this was a great season for a team that's on the rise. Or you could look at it in some way, shape, or form that given everything that went around them, that they kind of blew a really good opportunity this year. And who knows what's going to happen next year? You know, maybe it's a little bit of both. What do you think? Uh, it's definitely a little of both. I, I mean, any fan who's not denying that we took advantage or is trying to deny that we took advantage of an easy schedule and had very above average injury luck uh, is, is lying to themselves. I mean, that that's accurate. Now, I think how 
how many of the the players on this team are really the key players are really young players the 90 million in cap space another full draft class where we've had above average you know if we continue even slightly less than the rate we've been hitting at which is crazy which is probably 60 65 percent of their picks have been hitting even if we drop that down to 40 50 percent you're still talking about four more contributing players another chance to fill gaps in uh free agency with a good chunk of money and then another again way more of this is on josh allen's shoulders than anything else they probably equally to everything else combined of being able to add more talent you know more one more protector one more playmaker a better pairing at running back for you know devin singletary uh, another corner a good linebacker two good pass rushers all that together is probably half and the other half is does Josh Allen make a huge step forward um i think that's there's enough of those things that i think there's more of that to be optimistic about than there was to just chalk up the easy schedule, the injury luck to say that that's going to counterbalance everything. Um, you know, we also had a handful of one score games that didn't go our way that if we get a bounce that if we get, you know, a catch, you know, in some of those late games, where we're throwing the ball into the end zone down a score that we lost a good handful of those that could have flipped around and could bounce the other way. So if you're talking about regression from a luck standpoint, you know, maybe some of those things go our way, even, if we do lose a little um, injury luck from that standpoint. Also, we're returning so many core players, you know, 20 of 22 starters. I think I count 27 of our top 32 contributors are all coming back. Plus, we're going to be able to add more and another draft class. We're going to have one of the deepest teams we've had in 30 years next year that an injury or two might not be devastating. We might be able to survive more of that than what we're traditionally used to, where we're used to when somebody goes down, when Eric Wood gets hurt, the season unravels and falls apart. When those things happen, it's just, you know, the, the end of times and that we might be in better shape from a stability, a system and a roster depth standpoint that that won't be as catastrophic as it's normally been around Buffalo. And then I'll lie to myself and say that the new facility and training rooms and all the things they've been invested in means that we're just never going to have injuries again. Um, but I, I think there's, there's more reason to be hopeful than there is to assume that it's all going to come crashing back down to earth. Now they still have to perform. They still have to do those things to make that matter. And in the grand scheme of things, way more of that is going to be simply on Josh Allen's right arm than anything else. So um, if that comes through, we could be looking at a special run, and if it doesn't, it could be frustrating. But uh, I think there's more reasons to hope that that's going to be the case, that we're going to see something special here, that we're now going to have some sustainable success, and that I think another 10-6 and six type season is very, very doable. You know, we'll see what happens, lots of off-season stuff, lots of other things to come in there, but I don't think that's unreasonable at all. I agree, man. That's a great point, too. Good stuff. Follow Greg on Twitter at Greg Thompson. Of course, check out CoverOne.net. How long before you and Aaron are like deep diving into free agency, mock drafts, all that fun stuff? 
Uh, we're we're going to be jumping right into it pretty quickly. We're going to do something similar here this week, do a little bit of a recap, go back over some of the games and some of the things that have happened, and probably a, a, maybe even a similar exercise to what, what you and I did tonight. Uh, we'll be doing some of that this week. We'll then get into uh, probably more of an overview of the offseason, talking about some of the things that are coming up here. Um, then you get into that last week of January. Um, half of our squad is heading down to the Senior Bowl, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. I'll be over there with Eric and Russell Brown and Christian Page and a lot of our draft guys. Um, looking forward to being able to see some of these players that we're going to be going after uh, from a draft standpoint. Uh, and then we'll switch gears right into free agency and start going over that. And that's where I really get nerded out. I love the financials of it. Um, I'll do a lot of contract projections, whether that's extensions on some of those pillar players coming up. You got Trey White, Matt Milano, Jordan Poyer, Deion Dawkins, all expiring after the 2020 season. Um, I think we see a good amount of those negotiated uh, probably after the first wave of free agency, but sometime in that March to May window, we'll see some of those uh, extensions come out and then throw out some fun names that we can go after in free agency. I don't expect the 20 unrestricted free agents that Bean signed last year, uh, but he made it pretty clear in the presser that we're not going to be nickel and diamond it looking to squeeze out a comp pick. I think we're going to sign as many guys as we lose, and I'm going to interpret that as you know somewhere in the four to six range this year, maybe not 20, but um, – um, some contributors to bring in there and we'll, we'll target some of those names that are out there as well. Well, I'm really looking forward to listening. And uh, thanks for jumping on the pod. It was great to have you on. No, I appreciate it. It was a great time. I'm a big fan. Uh, you're a, a fellow lover of food. I try to behave myself uh, with uh, the the portions and the, the amounts that I do, but I uh, appreciate all you do talking about the fun things that are out there and uh, enjoy coming on. I had a great time. All right, folks, that's it. That's it for today. I'm done. Thank you again, Greg Thompson from Cover One. Good to have Greg on the show. Usually I have his partner, Aaron Quinn, on the show, so it was nice to meet Greg, get him on the podcast, have a chat with him, and as I expected, he did a really good job, so thank you very much, Greg. Also want to thank our sponsors, Sounds Assured and 26 Shirts. Want to let you know next Tuesday's podcast, I'm going to have Chris Baker from Sabres Prospects had Chris on the podcast a few times, but it's been a while since he's been on. So I'll chat with him, see what he's up to. And of course, we'll talk plenty of Buffalo Sabres. In the meantime, guys, if you have not done so already, stop messing around. Subscribe to this podcast is free. Rate and review, all that fun stuff, man. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast a lot. You can catch us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. I got new shows every Tuesday and every Friday. When you subscribe, you're going to get them sent to your phone, your laptop, whatever device. You're going to get them before anyone else does. Also, don't forget to hit up the Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. I got highlight clips up on there as well as some original audio content coming as well. Last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PamaranTweets. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls. Buys pack giveaways, banner with Buffalo sports fans, dealing with a couple of ugly parodies out there trying to mess with me. Kind of fun. Anyway, all kinds of other stuff going on there. As always, I got to thank you. And this is the way I always end it. I got to thank you for listening. I say it all the time and I say it because I mean it. I really appreciate each and every single one of you out there that are listening to this podcast, whether it's in the gym, the office, the car, 
wherever the hell you're listening to it. It means the world to me. I know there's so many podcasts out there. So if you're devoting any time listening to this, it uh, it humbles me. I'm very grateful. So thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Be back. New show next Tuesday. Chris Baker. Talk to you soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.